0: Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals.
1: What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield, Jordan Foote, and Josh Kaiser joining me as always. Jordan, you are one hell of a trooper for sitting through this year. This is your flu game tonight, I think is what the call was. It it might literally be my flu game. Like, I woke up on,
2: we're recording this Tuesday, um, couldn't breathe really. Like, I have asthma, but it usually never flares up. So I was like, that's weird. And then sounded like someone in one of those cigarette commercials and then, Slept in the afternoon, it got worse. Now I have a fever and chill combo. So um, it might literally be the flu game, but I am excited to uh, take my mind off of that and talk some talk some ball. The
1: the joys of having kids, as I know Josh can attest <laughs> and anyone else listening is when your kid gets sick, you're like, oh crap, and you gotta take care of them, but your house turns into a ticking time bomb because you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know where you're going to get sick. You just know it's going to happen at some point. And that happened to me this weekend. So I spent my Saturday afternoon and evening and all day Sunday pretty much laid up in bed, full-blown man flu. It was. It's the worst. Vibes were low. Morale was low. Thank God the Chiefs just beat the ever-loving shit out of the Bears too so I could enjoy my Sunday very nicely.
3: Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. Shout out Taylor Swift. I don't think uh, we can't be the only sports program podcast that doesn't say her name. So there you go. Swifties uh, happy to have you on board, but
4: I yeah, was I'm
1: not in, I was not in on the Taylor Swift thing until she let out the let's fucking go when Kelsey, yep. was the I'm like, okay, all right, cool. That's all right. That's pretty cool.
3: And she breaks that out on Donna Kelsey next to her. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is it, we're We're to believe that this is day number one yeah whatever whatever was happening their first public appearance if you're breaking out the lfg in front of donna kelsey this is date like i don't know they've been dating for seven years in my
2: book
3: <laughs> yeah that's you don't a, use uh, that like
2: i haven't done that with my in-laws i've been married for 10 years yeah that that's wild uh it was it was crazy it was bigger than the game for a lot of people and then he had like the uh 400 increase in jersey sales and three hundred thousand more social media followers like it's even if it doesn't work out, he's uh, getting some stuff out of it. So it's, uh, it, it's good for him for sure. And good for her, obviously too. I wonder how many of those new
3: 300,000 followers are really like internet sleuths, just looking out, mm. for looking at yeah,
1: man, man. that like my, my wife is a huge Taylor Swift fan. And I called like the Swifties a cult and then you mm-hmm. see social media and I'm like, Oh, it really is. Okay. It's <laughs> wild. It's nuts. We're going to have to I'll cut that. Done. Nick cut that. We're going to need that <laughs> kind of, that <laughs> kind of <a> smoke energy. <laughs> It's one of those like it's the Hannibal Burst thing of like, why y'all booing me? I'm right. Like
3: it is quite well, a collection of uh, uh I mean, fanat NFL fans are are just as ridiculous as that. Oh, oh, so yeah, even right, it is what yeah. it is.
1: No, there's there's no doubt about that. And I mean, like the Chiefs are back to winning ways. KU football is some winning ways, so does Mizzou, K State won over the weekend, and the Royals have we won ten out of their last twelve it. games down the stretch. No, we don't care about K State, but Local team, I'm going to acknowledge it. Sure. Um, but hey, the Royals have won 10 out of their last 12 down the stretch here of the season. Five games left after the game tonight. They dropped it to Detroit. Got, I think, two more in Detroit and then the three-gamer against the Yankees. Uh, battle of last place teams in October or at the end of, end of September and October in Kansas City. Who, who would have thunk that uh, back in April? Uh, so we got a lot to talk about today, and we can't thank Energy Strength and Conditioning enough for sponsoring the show. Only a few shows left, but we can't thank them enough for their support. Day one sponsor here at KCSN. Be sure to check them out. You have know, a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. Uh, some news dropped last, like late last week. Annie Rogers uh, posted the article. Brian Bridges, who was a uh, previously the director of amateur scouting for the Atlanta Braves, has worked as a national cross checker for the Giants the last couple of seasons. Uh, He is now the Director of Amateur Scouting for the Kansas City Royals. Danny Otnaveros, who previously has done that the last couple of seasons, has been promoted to VP of Scouting. Additional uh, hires and promotions from within here, Jim Cuthbert uh, has been uh, promoted to Director of Pro Personnel and Strategy, and Daniel Guerrero to, to Director of International Scouting. Just some guys that I noticed uh, specifically from uh, Brian Bridges' time with the Braves, who he drafted. He led. He was the director of amateur scouting from 14 to 19. He worked with the Braves since 07. Prior to that, these are some names of guys that he drafted during those six drafts: 04, 14 to 19. Evan Phillips, who's with the Dodgers now and killing it. Austin Riley, Mike Soroka, Golby Allard, Bryce, uh, Bryce Wilson. Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz, Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, Drew Waters there in 2017. Uh, let's see here. There's a few other three notable names here uh, Shay Langleyers, Braden Shoemaker, Michael Harris, Brandon Parker, Vaughn Grissom, uh, Casey Kalich, who came over in the Solaire trade. So, some pretty decent names, I'd say, in that list. Uh, I'm not saying that he's going to come over and hit home run after home run with Kansas City, but shows you the caliber that of drafting that he had uh, when he was able to lead drafts for another organization and one that the Royals, you know, have taken some stuff from oh, obviously Dayton has some previous time there so there's a lot of familiarity between the two organizations so that that'll be interesting to follow but I don't know how I feel about the internal promotion aspect of this um and it's not like Danny Aviervos has done a terrible job. That's not the case at all. But it's just this scenario where the top of the drafts have been what's been suspect about this. Like I think he's almost done kind of what Brett Beach has happened with Brett Beach drafts. Like the top of the draft, it's like eh, I don't know. But then at the back end, you strike gold. And Danny Aviervos rounds like five through twelve has been dynamite. It's been rounds one, two, three, where there we've had some head scratchers. And I don't know, I, I, I'm i not going to make some sweeping conclusions until we see how this works after, you know, after the 2024 draft. Uh, but it did strike me as interesting that after the last few drafts, if not, duds are not the right word, but has definitely not uh, met the expectation to where the Royals need to be. I, I have a little bit of skepticism, here. I'll put it.
3: Yeah, and I think, the, I think the biggest head-scratcher out of this otherwise home run of a hiring with Bridges, I think, oh, is totally. the Aunt of, Aunt of Veros being the vice president of scouting. When Andy Rogers' write-up of it, it was a, kind of a vague description of what he'll do. It's like he's overlooking everything, but not really directly involved with anything. Um, it seemed like, yeah, he was running the draft room there in most of the drafts here lately, but doesn't seem and he'll be in influencing that that in the future but it doesn't seem like he's going to have that role moving forward as much so it's kind of a weird move there but otherwise like Brian Bridges I love the hire it seems like it seems like across the industry has been heralded as a very good move he's known he got a reputation as a conduit between analytics and like old school amateur scouting which is huge I mean we've we've talked about it before how valuable that person is the person that can kind of bridge the gap between the two uh, two worlds there and that's how valuable that is to a front office so that's huge and Joel you were talking about the draft he was doing all those drafts from a very late pick position that's like yeah, my, that's like it. that's huge I think at that point so if he's able to find that talent that late in the draft then what can he do with a top pick like he'll have next year so that's, that's kind of what I'm most excited about Bridges bringing him on board his experience in both analytics and uh, kind of bridging the gap between the two worlds is huge, in my opinion. So I love the hire.
2: Yeah, to to build off what Josh said, like there, it seemed to be the Giants and their fans and the media were like, okay, this is a big loss. Like when stuff like that happens, a lot of people will show you how they feel about that person very quickly and, and say, okay, they can get back from this very quickly. Oh, this isn't a big loss. Like it seemed like a pretty legitimate one. So Brian Bridges himself. Seems like the man for the job. There's also the Lonnie Goldberg element of how many hands and how many cookie jars does he have? Where is he going to uh, jump in? It seems like now this is less that answer could be instead of "Hey, I'm overseeing this. I'm factoring into this." Which again, JJ Picole is a different man than Dayton Moore and kind of moving in this direction. So um, I think it's a solid move. We will see um, Danny Ontiveros being the VP of scouting. How that works and what shape that takes i do have questions about like how the pieces fit together but the pieces themselves seem to be pretty decent
3: the the part about like jj talked about like needing new voices to come and challenge the systems that are in place i love that answer i mean yeah. there's such thing as having too many cooks in the kitchen but i i don't think that's an issue right now i think that there's very much a uh a welcome thing at this point. So it's good to kind of see Piccolo and company kind of embrace that challenge at this point. So that was also very encouraging, I thought.
1: I guess the only counter I'd have to that is when you're bringing in one new voice and you have six familiar ones in there, how often does that one new voice get drowned out, right? Like, if you're going to go all in on the fresh new voices, then go get three of them. And maybe a, bring keep a couple of guys for some continuity's sake. So even if you're going to let Brian Bridges r- run the draft... And you know, let him kind of have his philosophy, and then let everyone else kind of work the you know kind of fill in the cracks with how the Royals want to run things. Then okay, but if they're going to bring Brian Bridges in and kind of what we what you see, and this is a terrible, maybe terribly mixed metaphor, but when you see like a brand a new offensive coordinator go to a in college football and like, oh, they're here to run our offense, it's like, hmm. what's the point in a bringing in the new guy anyways? Like bring in the new guy so that he can lead this thing in a new direction that they clearly need don't just bring a new guy in to bring a new guy in
3: it I doesn't seem like if... that's
1: the case that's just the the concern when you bring in one guy and then elevates three others from it yeah. internal.
3: I wonder if he's going to have a couple guys he's bringing in to do just that i mean that's that's what scouting and the hiring and firing as it go on in the scouting world it goes so far under the radar Like We won't even know that that's the case, Uh, even as the three guys who follow the Royals pretty closely. I don't think we'll ever hear the hirings and firings that might come because of Bridges, but we'll definitely see the impact, I think, starting as soon as next year.
2: Yeah. Speaking of impact, I tweeted out, I noticed the Royals got hot, obviously, in September, and I wanted to compare September of last year to September of this year. Everyone says, oh, the Royals play on fire every September and finish year strong. They actually don't. And last year, they went 10 and 16, 385 win percentage Um, after a 464 in July and a 448 August. So they were playing decent ball and got worse this year, 13 and 9 after the Tuesday night loss, good for a 59.1 win percentage, 36 in July, 32 in August. So it's legitimate improvement. Run differential last year in September minus 18, this year plus 14. The average margin of loss is the exact same. The average margin of win is even two points worse. All of this is to say the opponents they faced last September had an average win percentage of 49.9. So they were playing 500 teams in September and were not doing well at all this September, 48.6. So they're playing decent competition, better teams than them, not playoff teams, but better teams than them. Houston, obviously best team they've faced unless I'm so missing somebody them. Exactly. They mm-hmm. whipped their ass. So this can easily turn to 13 and 13 and then you're like, okay, well, they didn't really finish strong, but it's better than last September. I don't think it necessarily means a lot going into next season, but it is always better to see a team fight to the end as opposed to rolling over and going, you know, five and 21 or whatever it would be.
3: I think that's largely credited to what I kind of pulled from this uh, this last couple weeks sample size since uh, September 13th they've had and in coming into the game, not including the Giants game, but they kind of started living up to their expected stats. So it kind of seems like this offense is a little bit legitimate. We've kind of talked about it multiple times, but the Royals have the second highest differential between their actual, you know, expect or their actual team OPS and their expected team OPS. Uh, their actual OPS is 6.98, blah, but they're uh, expected is somewhere like 7.37. Um, so they're like you know 11th highest expected OPS in the major leagues and the sixth highest in the AL. So you should see that this is a potent offense, and that's what we've seen this last two and a half weeks during this uh, really good successful, uh, I guess, streak. I don't know if we can call it a streak anymore since it was snapped tonight, but it is kind of seeing them living up to their expected stats at that point, and then you know, since that 913 date, their team OPS is 747, which is their expected uh on the season was 737. Their hard hit percentage was 40 point 40 point one. Expected on the season was forty-one point two. Barrel rates pretty close the same. Average exit velocity is pretty much the same. They scored sixty-eight runs in eleven games. That is six point two runs per game And then, and they've played quality opponents. Um you know, the starters have largely been the same. There's a 4.12 ERA, but still a 5.21 XFIP. Not good at all. The relievers have some, you know, shining moments. But as a group, they're still uh, they're a 4.56 XFIP. So not great. The offense has been carrying them. And it's fun to see that. And I think it's largely because they're kind of living up to what their expected stats have been saying that they should be all season. So hopefully this is just progression to the mean. And this is where they are supposed to be now and will be next year. We can look forward to it, hopefully.
1: I think what's interesting about what we've seen um, in these last couple of weeks compared to other Royals teams that have, quote unquote, played well in September, you know, it, it, that gives us the false hope of the offseason leading into to the next year is a lot of times it feels like those guys that play well are like guys that are either on expiring contracts or. Aging veterans that are probably not going to be a part of the future, but they're here and it's like, okay, they're playing well, that's fine. But we just see the wins and we're like, okay, great. They're they're starting to figure it out. With this team being so young and so rookie and second year heavy, we're seeing it like the wins come from guys and the, the progress come from guys that are legitimately a part of the future of the team going into 2024. And they're the ones that are contributing to this. So I guess... I, take it, I think it looks a little bit different. It doesn't make me wholly buy into what the Royals are going to be in 24, that they're going to magically be 20 wins better. Like I, It's not necessarily that, but it's more of, I think we're, we can see the building blocks to what next year could build into a little bit more, both with pitching and with hitting. Because uh, there's been enough young pitchers that I think have started to take that next step that you feel like there's enough building blocks there to... Start to see the progress we thought we would see this year. I know we said that last year. It is what it is, <laughs> but I I think there is more to like with what we're seeing right now, obviously, than what we saw at the end of last year. All right, uh, you- one last yeah, one last point here. Uh, the Arizona Fall League roster was announced last week as well. Uh, the Royals uh, players are combined with a couple other teams for the surprise Suaros. And they send a bunch of guys down there to to the fall league. Five pitchers, Eric Sarantola, Ryland Kaufman, Jacob Wallace, Beckway, and Angel Zerpa, interestingly enough. uh, I can't remember too many guys that have gotten legitimate big league time uh, that go down to the fall league because that's mostly considered like prospect finishing school or guys that, you know, just something to build on. Uh, So I I think that's kind of interesting. It might be just an opportunity for him to stretch out more as a starter considering he's mostly been a reliever. Nick Lofton's going down there with Peyton Wilson. I bet the Nick Lofton thing is just for positional versatility. Let him play first. Let him play second. Let him play short. Let him play the outfield, whatever. And then Gavin Cross is going down there as well. And that, I think, is purely to get him at bats because he hasn't swung a bat in the game in like two months. So mm-hmm. hopefully we're able to see something from him to give us some some sort of positive momentum going into uh, 2023. You guys have any thoughts on the Folly Grouse here?
2: I'm surprised to see Zerpa there, but I also get it. Like he—he's a guy that needs polishing. Probably just needs the reps, especially after being hurt. Um, I—that's really the only thing that majorly jumped out to me.
3: Yeah, only seventy-two innings this year for Zerpa. Uh, so there are definitely some reps needed in there. I—I I agree with Joe. I think it's more of a stretching out thing. He's been doing a lot of bulk. Well, it's been really, really good lately for sure. Um, to me, the Lawson was a weird one. Um, I—I can—I think the only you know, case for doing that is to get him more reps defensively and try to get him in other spots. But again, I don't know what he's gonna prove down there. I think he's kind of done at least plenty to show that he could do. Is he gonna catch? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Unless he's maybe he's learning center field or something. I don't know. I don't I don't really understand why that's the case. I honestly, if we're sending the guy down with some kind of major league, you know, service time, I'd much rather see Nick Prado go down there and try to fix what's going on with him. That yeah. makes way more sense to me. I think he's got potentially a more uh, higher ceiling than Thick pro or Thick uh, Lofton. <laughs> I can't get my Thicks I'm getting my thicks mixed up. Uh, but I would rather see probably in Thick Prado down there before Thick Lofton at this point. But uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to look forward to seeing what their uh, check ins are every day, anyways.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of opportunities to watch those games. But we'll see box scores and and see some some sort of video from from scouts that are able to get down there and. We'll keep you guys updated on that as much as we can. We're going to take our first break, come back and talk about MJ Melendez right after this. Thanks for listening to KC
0: Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app, find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network.
4: The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
1: I like button, hit that subscribe button, we appreciate you guys hanging with us here these last... This last week of the big league season, we're already like one hundred fifty-five game, one hundred fifty-seven games in now. It's crazy how fast it's gone! Uh also so long. It, yeah, it's been like the <laughs> weirdest, like short-long season ever. Because I mean, it it was a slog there for most of the year. I wanted to go. Oh God, what are we going to talk about today? Because there wasn't a lot. <laughs>
3: June, July, and then midway through August was it just seemed like time stood still, and then ever since then has been absolute, you know, lights be ahead.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So our our spotlight player we're going to talk about today is MJ Melendez, and I knew he had been playing pretty well. I hadn't really checked in on the numbers too much until yeah. recently. He's been a completely different player in the second half, at least from at the plate. So to break down first half versus second half. In the first half, I mean, it, it was atrocious. Slash 206, 289, 333, 68 witterance graded plus, six home runs, striking out nearly 30% of the time. Uh, now walking 10%, but ISO 127. And I think he metrically graded out as the worst right fielder in baseball, something along those lines. Which is Second saying out. something. There's a lot of bad outfielders in right field. Yeah. Now, thankfully, he he's playing more left field now, and thankfully, he's not the worst because that's reserved for Jerks and Profar and Kyle Schwarber. Um, if you think what MJ Melendez is doing out there is bad, what Kyle Schwarber's doing out there is an affront to God. It is. I don't know how they keep putting him out in left field. I don't know one they one.
2: How is Jerickson Profar only thirty years old? I still every time I see how old he is, I'm like, it feels like that guy should be forty five by now. Like has been in the league it's like, forever. It's like Elvis <laughs> Andrews, and they kind of came up yeah, around the yeah, same yeah, time.
3: Yeah,
1: you're yeah. like, how 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 are you still just twenty nine? Well, they I kind of look at Buxton like him the same way. with yeah, oh my God. Buxton because they were pros top prospects for so long. Then I'm like, God, did, when he came up was he twenty five? Nope, he was twenty one. Like yep. it's it's so weird. Yeah. Moving us back to MJ Melendez, the second half of the year. So this is from the day they got back from the All Star break on July fourteenth until uh, today, or I think the I think it was the twenty third was their last game. Yeah, my bad. I have my days mixed up here. Either way, uh, it's all blurred. It's all, yeah, it is. Uh, slashing two seventy one, three forty six, four seventy seven, a one nineteen witter and plus got the strikeout rate down to 26%, and he's still walking 10%. So if we're able to just think, even if they just have it down the middle, like somewhere, and he's like a 105 to 115 Witter and Scrated Plus guy, and he's walking at that rate, providing enough power, I think there's something there. And he's looking, I know the the season-long numbers aren't going to look great uh, defensively, but you can tell over the last couple of months he's looked way more comfortable out there. I think some of some of us I think we've taken for granted how difficult it is to learn a position still learn a position. I know we played it last year, but that was trial by fire. there's still a lot of learning that needs to happen like it did, not everybody that transitions to the outfield is going to be Alex Gordon and they just figure it out right away and start winning gold gloves not saying MJ Melendez is ever going to get to that point but if he can just be, passable in the outfield like what Merrifield level that was just like yeah. they're fine they're not terrible they're not amazing either but can just certainly hold their own and catch every fly ball hit to them it's like a one and a half win player in there with his power he can pop you 20 home runs with a little less swing and miss like I, I do think like I have come around on MJ Melendez a lot more over the last two months than where I was in the middle of May where I'm thinking God, I don't don't know what they're going to do with him at this point because it wasn't like he was carrying anything defensively and he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I haven't heard that expression before. (laughs) That was really good. I don't know why I thought that was so
2: funny. Um, He is 97th percentile in average exit velocity. He's been hitting the crap out of the ball, 91st percentile in hard hit rate, 86th percentile base running value, um, walking at a a decent clip 88th percentile arm value but second percentile now it's about average so like if he gets to being a near average defender in terms of range and jumps and all that stuff he has the arm to be a viable outfielder and really one thing i noticed he struggled against fastballs this season bad and against four seamers with 37.3 percent of the time last year that was 27 Fangraps does like that and i've brought this up before they're like runs above average per pitch and they kind of show you how the player is doing against each pitch before the all-star break. He was at minus 6.8 against four seam fastballs. Now he's at 7.5 plus 7.5. Um, since the all-star that
1: little hand adjustment is crazy,
2: wild big difference for him. Like I, I personally have never been completely sold on him, but like Joel said, if he can be a near average defender and a slightly above average hitter, you have an everyday player in your lineup, and with that power, he's going to grow into and be he's still young. like He's not ancient. He still has the the new car smell, I guess you could say, is a, a core piece for the future. So if he can be more of the player he's been since the break instead of the player he was before the break, he's going to be fine. I'm so happy you brought up that
3: fastball change because that was massive, and we've talked about it multiple times with multiple guys. Like... That was kind of the key to unlocking Bobby Wood Jr. is him able to handle fastballs, especially up. Uh, the little hand adjustment for MJ seems to be a very big key to unlocking what he could potentially be. I am still legitimately terrified of his BABIP in the second half. It is three forty-three. That is bonkers, especially for a guy that didn't even like wasn't even close to that in the minor leagues. He does not have a track record of a BABIP that high, and now that it's three forty-three, he was still just kind of you know. Was he hitting 275 average at this point, I think, is what in the second half? Yeah, 271. Yeah. So uh, I, it makes me legitimately terrified, but there is reason he is having success of the fastball and, and doing quite a bit of damage on it. He's also chasing less. He's also whiffing less. So I think that there is definitely some adjustments that he made, which is key at this point for all these young guys making adjustments, being coachable. Uh, unlocking something and listening to your coaches just to try to make something work and just constantly tinkering, constantly making things, uh, you know, different, changing things up. So I think there's plenty of reason to believe in the adjustments that he did make, but that Babbitt still terrifies me to the core. So as much as we've seen MJ Melendez do this season, how much we've seen him struggle, how we've seen him rebound in the second half, there's still some questions to be answered by MJ Melendez next season. Hopefully he gets to it before... Uh, before, you know, June or whatever next year. But I think at this point, I think he is your starting left fielder next year opening. 100%. Game. I'm fine with that. I Yeah, Joey, you talked about He's pretty much like an average to just slightly below average left fielder. That frees up Nellie Nukes to play be your everyday right fielder, which is what you want anyways. And I think his bat is more valuable in left field than it is even in right field at that point. So... He's not going to be your traditional slugger, I don't think. Fifteen to twenty home runs is just fine. If he's not going to be a catcher, stick him in left field, and let's do this thing. It's it's really what you got to do at this point.
1: So this is an interesting note that I found on Savon that suggests that maybe he that he's getting more comfortable. It's just not all the way there yet in the outfield. So he gets out of one hundred and one qualified corner outfielders. He's ninety seven. He's ninety seventh out of one hundred and one. In jumps like outfield jump, but he's forty third out of a one hundred and one in route efficiency. So he just like he doesn't anticipate it, but he knows how to get there and get the, get to the ball efficiently when it's in the air. He's just not seeing it off the bat like a traditional outfielder would. So I think with just a little bit more time, he's going to be able to anticipate and because he takes enough efficient routes to the ball. That we're going to see less of the kind of whoopsie daisy sort of stuff from him in the outfield, maybe that I think that is that is interest I thought that was interesting that he actually does take good routes to the ball. It's just the jump is horrific, given how decent a Matt like, he is.
2: I wish that Savant was around for when Norie Aoki played because the, <laughs> the, the routes he took in the outfield were interesting as the word,
1: I guess. Oh yeah! The only my only lasting image of Nori Aoki playing baseball, hit in the, the nuts, is the GIF of him sliding for the ball and again, hitting the hitting the boys. Oh man, brutal! He made that awesome catch in the playoff run, right? He made he is
3: in Yeah, sure. Right that. That's yeah. I think he came in for uh, who's our out? Who's our other out? It was was it the Willingham? 2014 yeah. wild card. Good grief! Yep. Yeah, that was almost I ten years ago. I was very puckered when that ball was towards him, real, real puckered at that point. But Nori Aoki's a great one. Yeah, that's that's. So, so. And Joel, and, to your point, does that mean like that? Obviously, it sounds like the instincts are there, which is something you can't coach. But reps and all, and jumps and everything, reading ball that comes with time. So I think, yeah, if you're if you're gonna want one of those to be the way it is, it's it's how it is.
1: Yeah, like, if he was getting really good jumps that I had no idea where the hell to run, I'd be way more concerned. Yeah, yeah, that's Kyle Schwarber stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, honestly, so you mentioned where he is percentile-wise with arm strength. The fielder runs for arm value on baseball, Savon, he's 14th in all of baseball, and that's regardless of position. Hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty good company for, for what he is considering. He's a fairly below-average outfielder. If he can just get it to, like, average... I mean, he's going to throw a lot of dudes out, and you know, provide enough value there that it's not a black hole in the outfield there. And you're just like, it's not. We're never, and we're never going to get to an Edward Olivares situation with MJ Melendez where the balls hit to him, and it's like, oh god, is this going to be okay? Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I Edward mean, Olivares can win a Gold Glove out there.
1: By God, it was MJ so ridiculous. That was so. MJ, ridiculous. By the way, tonight we. <laughs> Uh, we send way too many strays to Edward Olivares, given like I is it are they unwarranted? Like, yeah. In the out, in deserve. in the outfield, yes. But yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know if Edward Olivares deserved that. <laughs> <laughs> I just sit there and think about it for an well
2: time. Nelson Velasquez could be, you know, traveling down that path. To He's be fair, his defense bad. is better. Yeah, his defense yeah, out like better.
1: again, it's kind of similar to MJ where like they just hold their own enough. Sure. But, like it's not I'm not that concerned about it. Like I just, I'm not going to, and Nelson Velasquez in so many damn home runs that like, yeah. I really don't, it's like, it's it's almost into the Kyle Schwarber point of, I don't care, you could go out there with a frying pan on your hand, and I don't care, because you're hitting me 30, you're jacking 30, 40 almost. sure it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alright, let's get to this. <laughs> We're back with another week of football and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner, and DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and use the code KCSN. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets exp- expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Thanks for
0: listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network.
1: The quick trigger that was just absolutely brutal. I out. had a I had a little joke in there, too. Wow. I, mean, I was going to give
3: you some flowers because that was an awesome read.
1: Thank you. That, that was great incredible. Great producer Nick just, I mean, fastest hands in the West to, to get Nick. to the ad read. Nick gave it a little <laughs> Matumbo. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. Oh, oh, man. Uh, what are we doing next? I forgot already. Okay, minor league. talking about Omaha. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to send me back to oh, Omaha. Omaha. They don't
3: even live there.
1: Uh, so Omaha finished their season this week. Uh, they finished 68 and 77. Like every other Royals affiliate, they did not make the playoffs. Uh, We'll talk about a few of the guys here. AAA is just so weird for me now to like talk about prospects because there's not really many prospects there anymore. And that goes to like almost every team. Like it's almost just like a bunch of 40 man holdovers and quad A guys and dudes that are just kind of hanging on. So I, I don't know what to make of a lot of it. Um, I guess the main guy to talk about is Tyler Gentry. He was, you know, one of the hitters of the year for the Royals. Um, but other than that, man, I just, I don't know. What, what were some of your guys' thoughts? Joel's <laughs> like, I'm all out. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> looking at this throwback. Like, everybody that, like, was, this for lack of a better term, worth a sure. shirt in Omaha got to Kansas yeah. City, and they
2: played yeah. there. So, yeah. I Well, I I, I kind of cheated. I went with Austin Cox and James McArthur as high points. They both obviously parlayed their yeah. AAA success into – uh, big League reps and Cox had a 3.61 ERA in 47 innings. He left 93.8% of his base runners on base in AAA, which is pretty ridiculous. That's awesome. Um, played 24 games with the Big League club, obviously dealing with the torn ACL now, going to miss a big chunk of 2024 probably. Um, MacArthur, 3.98 ERA, 3.57 FIP in 40 innings, only allowed two home runs. Struck out twelve point, I think it was twelve point six guys per nine. So, really, was the whammer, the hammer, the jammer, whatever you want to call him, down in AAA. Did I? I covered my ass because I didn't remember what his nickname was, but um, parlayed it <laughs> into cast a wide net. <laughs> yes, parlayed it into big league experience. So, um, those are my two pluses for AAA.
3: I had uh, Dyron Blanco. Uh, also, both these guys are guys. Officially, after night, guys that are spending time in the the majors as well. But Dyron Blanco really forced his way into the big league uh, conversation, um, kind of went into the season with a little bit of a debut, but not really being taken, I don't know, seriously by a lot of us. I'll say us, because I think all three of us were in the boat of not taking him super seriously. But uh, 49 games in Omaha, slash 347, 444, and 451. Oh, yeah, he's still 47 bagged in 49 games he led Omaha in stolen bases and only played there for a quarter of the season, or a third of the season, Uh, Also playing wide, excellent uh, defense. So uh, got the promotion, slash 226, 299, 400 at the majors, stole 22 more bags. His defensive metrics were average to good. Uh, Really kind of forced his way into the log jam of the outfield that's currently being taken into consideration. I think you got to think of him maybe as a fifth outfielder. I don't know if this Royals roster is in a position to carry him for that uh but could be a nice trade piece but they're gonna have mj waters nelly isbel gentry Lofton, and blanco all potentially in that outfield next year depth is a good thing but it's also kind of the best place that we could potentially be adding offense to sure so it's kind of like a it's a log jam that he's gonna have to find a role in like like we've said before a 30 year old guy yeah. on the cheap that's the biggest thing. that can, that's can do the things like there's no more developing this is his prime no. yeah. so if if,
1: if Darren blanco, to that role, yeah, yeah. if Tyron blanco was like 26 i think we're having a different conversation about his sure. outlook for next year but he's gonna be 31 and i don't know if yeah. you want to carry and i know he's still cheap because it'll be you know minimum salary you know league minimum salary because he's still pre R, but i don't know if you want to carry that guy at that age like it's just it's tricky because yeah. I think there is enough potential there for him to provide enough value as a fifth outfielder with his defensive ability. He's fine enough at the plate that I—it's not like it's a black hole to keep him on the roster. And obviously, he's lethal on the base path. So yeah. I don't know. It's I think Rado factor to... into that.
2: Does Nick what? Prado factor into the outfield picture at all too? Like they have a lot of guys sure. that I, you know, could like. Not... Like I don't know what to do with Nick Prado either. Like there's guys that could play technically like the max outcome for guys they have that could end up playing in the outfield. It's a lot. It's a mm-hmm. lot of people. Yep.
3: You're not wrong. They kind of along the same lines, the pitching staff is kind of along those sure. same lines with a lot of, yeah. a lot of log jam. And let's go ahead and throw not just Johnny Bolin, who we've just, uh, were told prior to the recording that he'll be making the start tomorrow for the Royals. So, Shout out to Jonathan Bolin and his MLB debut. But tonight was the debut of Anthony Veneziano. Um, we've kind of wanted to see him a little bit more. It kind of shocked us that he started out in Double A, starting at the year, but he showed out, earned the promotion to Omaha, uh, played in 18 games, 17 starts, a 4.22 ERA with 4.62 FIP, a 20.6 K percentage, 11.6 walk percentage. So not super great, but he did have some absolute, uh, you know, gems. That, that were part of that experience as well. Uh, but overall, this was a big year. He was 25 years old for, I think he just turned 26, uh, eligible for the Rule Five last winter, was not put on the 40 man and passed over in the Rule Five. So he went out there and kind of showed what he, you know, that he deserved a 40 man spot, deserved a cup of tea to see what he could do at the major leagues, made his debut to the tune of one innings pitch, one hit, one walk, two unearned runs, and no strikeouts tonight. So, Shout-out to Anthony Veneziano for his NLB debut. He was definitely one of the bright spots in Omaha this year and excited to see what he can bring to the rotation potentially next year. Uh, Also, shout-out to Samad Taylor. Had a good year. Max Castillo had a good year. And a guy that nobody, none of us are talking about, Walter Pennington. I think uh, Spencer Farr was the only one talking about Walter Pennington at all this year, but he quietly had a very good year in the bullpen in Omaha this year. I would potentially be interested to see what he could do in spring training next
1: year kind of an outside track chance to make it make the roster through that way i mean i'm furiously looking up walter pennington's stats yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're bad. Yeah. 369 era in 41 games 61 innings 64 yep. straight counts 31 walks okay i'm not gonna worry about walks with triple a because of the abs like I mean, it is yep. so jacked up and so flawed. <laughs> and like, I'm not going to worry about lock numbers for anybody in AAA. I'm just not. Yeah. 60, so 64 strikeouts, sure in 61 innings. Okay. That'll be interesting to, yep. to uh, take a look at. i will talk about Tyler Gentry. It was a weird year for him mm-hmm. because, like, he's sure it's one of those things kind of like uh, somebody I talked about. I can't remember who I talked about last week that I was looking at the numbers and like nothing adds up to make me think it was a bad year or a good year. Like, I don't know. But, Kalid Gentry had a 103 WRC plus in Omaha. You only strike out 22 percent of the time. You walked 14%. Yeah, 370 on base, slugged 421, 16 homers. Uh yeah, 16 homers in double A last year. I like I still think he's a good prospect. I think he's going to factor into the outfield at some point next year. And he really turned it on toward the back half of the year that I thought maybe he was going to get you know, a turn with the uh with the major league club. But I think it just got so jammed up with Lofton coming up and he started playing well. Nelson Velasquez couldn't stop hitting home runs. So I think the opportunities just got a little thin. I thought maybe he would be a fall league guy just to get him just to kind of continue to improve you know continue to work on what he's had over the last two to three months that have been Oh, that's the Tyler Gentry from last year that we thought was going to go to Triple A and mash. So I think this—I think it was just such a slow start to the year for him that it, it kind of wrecks some things. But that's not me closing the book on Tyler Gentry. I think he is a big league outfielder in some capacity. Uh, I think he's going to be a non-roster invitee to spring training and fight for a, a fourth outfield spot potentially uh, with this team. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, but. Uh, definitely an interesting year in, in AAA and a generally hitter friendly uh, league. So, I don't know. And, you know, it'll be 25 next year. So it's got to make or break in, in some capacity for him.
3: I'm a big Gentry guy. I hope to see him up there. Yeah. But it's going to be weird to try to find those opportunities for sure.
2: All right. Any, I agree. Any, I don't have. It was a very Tyler Gentry year. Like he's going to be in the picture and be around and high floor and I don't really know about the ceiling but like he didn't do anything this year where I was like worried about anything long term he's still around yeah absolutely
1: um is there anybody you guys want to talk about on the the low end before we wrap up here
2: um Nate Eaton had an 84 WRC plus in 85 games just not good kind of spelling the spelling the end or close to it for him um I think in terms of being a valuable big league contributor. He had a minus 53 WRC plus in 28 games this year. Um, CJ Alexander turned 27 in July, had a 68 WRC plus with almost a 30% strikeout rate. Um, drew Parrish had talked about, not worrying about walks. He walked 58 in 84 innings with 64 strikeouts. He gave up 24 home runs. That is insane. He'll be 26 in December I'm not the effort I expected from him.
1: So those no, are not no, no, guys shocking guys to when I looked at the numbers. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: I think probably my biggest disappointment was probably Will Klein. Uh, started out, you know, in double A, showed out, had the promotion in June, still striking out guys 28.2% uh, strikeout rate, but walking guys 14.4% of the time, which is too high, especially in Omaha and Triple A. 566 ERA of 4.375 just wasn't locating very well uh still just 23 year olds there's plenty to like about his stuff uh I'd love to see what Stetter and Bove and Sweeney have for him in the offseason try to get him right because his stuff is absolutely electrifying um he's another one that should have a pretty you know outside track of making the team via strong street spring training next year but it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him in Omaha open up that way and then try to work back into this, the conversation a little bit more. And then we've talked about him a couple of times, Nick Prado, super disappointing for me. I had high expectations, even a guy at the, at the mid season that I was potentially talking about wanting to extend him at that point, um, really kind of uh, didn't live up to that, but he just had just had 131 plate appearances in the, in AAA, slash 180, 290, and 342. And of AAA players with at least 130 plate appearances, Prado's uh, 342 slug ranked 294th. That's a concern. He is striking out a ton, especially here lately. I think it's over 50% in the last few weeks. Um, Not walking, not hitting for power. That's not going to do it. So Nick Prado, I need to see more from you. Definitely a low light in Omaha, but uh, I'm not writing him off by any means either. So uh, give me some more Nick Prado. Give me some adjustments and let's go.
1: So just an interesting note on Will Klein. So he had 14 walks in 29 and a third in Double uh, in A little high, but not super concerning given the the strikeouts. He still had 49 strikeouts in 35 innings in A, 25 walks. And again, I'll, I'll chalk some of that up to, to ABS. From people that I've spoke to that have pitched with that, guys that are high spin, high velocity guys at the top of the zone, really struggle with it, especially if that ABS zone is canted down just a little bit and it's like belt high, like those guys are screwed. And the guys mm-hmm. with sinker sliders and like pie throwing stuff, like they're the ones that are able to kind of cook with it. So I'll I'll be curious to see if there's any adjustment there or if the walk numbers just start to come down a little bit when he goes to the big leagues and we're not having to worry about that at this point. Uh, I know that the ABS system is an inevitability but it's got to get cleaned up uh, before that happens at the big league level. But I still think there's enough to like with Will Klein. The stuff is undeniable. Uh, it's just a matter of getting to the big leagues and letting it work. And also, I find it interesting. John McMillan was the guy that struck it, that dealt with yeah. issues at every level. Yes, the big leagues. I know small sample, blah, 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 but had like no command issues whatsoever at the big leagues. Mm-hmm. So yep. Some maybe it could just be getting to the big leagues and having big league umpires and big league catchers you know, maybe that helps a little bit for the Steven guy. Cruz probably fits in that category too. He does. Sure. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a great point too, just Steven Cruz is the guy that struggled in triple A with walks. Yeah. Similar kind of similar kind of thing. So let that just be a lesson that if you're going to look at triple A walk rates, don't know
2: <laughs> what you're looking at. Yeah. <laughs> no you looking at? A big grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. Green
3: salt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a few. Yep.
1: Yeah. So we still have two episodes left of the podcast uh, for this season. Uh, but unfortunately, Josh will not be able to join us for either of them. He's going on vacation next week. Uh, so that will be, you know, this is going to be his last episode, so he's going to have his final thoughts of the season. Uh, so floor is yours. Sir.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm going to be out of town, as the youth say. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to join you guys in the next couple of weeks. But uh, this season was not an easy one to cover. Uh, it was even harder to not give into the hyperbolic emotional reactions that we as fans are extremely susceptible to and maintain that fair critique of the organization as a whole uh not really a bright side to a hundred plus lost season especially after you've already had seven in a row prior or six in a row prior to that this is the seventh um under 500 so the three of us aren't here to be you know organizational apologists or sunshine pumpers or or anything like that we're fans at heart um, we're undoubtedly speak for all the fans when I say we need to see improvement from this organization this offseason. Um, it was about this time last year we were talking about the hope that a new direction like firing Dayton Moore and Cal Elgin was going to provide. We didn't expect a contending season and most people didn't even expect a winning season but we damn sure expected way more than a 56 to 106. team. Uh, we expected a lot more than that. So what we got in this assessment year was an assessment year in every sense of the word. They threw ideas at the wall uh, when injuries decimated a bad rotation. They did get Bobby, Bobby Wood Jr. back on a superstar track. They played musical chairs with their roster using literally everybody they possibly could to fill holes. <laughs> um, they unequivocally and undoubtedly won the trade deadline bringing in Nelly Nukes and Cole Reagans. They made me eat a couple of habanero peppers on the, on the recording as well. Um, and I think at the end of they have it actually have a really good idea about what they need to do moving forward, even to the point where it sounds like from what JJ said in a couple of interviews here lately, that they're going to do some adding in the off season. So that's exciting. Um, with the exception of 2014 and 2015, Royals fans have been stuck in this same cycle that we were talking about earlier, that they, they give you hope at the end of the season where they start to go in a late surge you think there's going to be something worth it and i've started re-watching the dark knight trilogy shout out to batman um and in there in the dark knight rises bane talks about where he grew up in a prison that was literally hell on earth because it had the one thing that no other prison had which was an opening at the top that gave hope and one of the quotes that you'll know, true to me as a royals fan was there can be no true despair without hope but in the same trilogy also give us the quote the night is always darkest just before the dawn my question and the challenge to this organization on behalf of all the fans that listen to the One Royal Boy podcast is where is the dawn? What is going to be different about this offseason? What's the trend breaker that's going to make this offseason different? It's going to be the motivator to make us all vote yes on a new stadium. What's the big domino that falls that's going to change the forecast of this team? And with that, i got to thank everybody involved here. i got to thank God for giving us you know the chance to talk about and think about baseball at this High of a priority to us, as opposed to so many other awful circumstances that we could be talking about and concentrating on. Got to thank KCSC for sponsoring the show. KCSN, BJ kissel Tucker Franklin, keeping everything going. Shout out to Joel who does the social media for us. He not me, not me, not Joel. You also kill it, but (laughs) the the social media is just absolutely great for KCSN, so that's invaluable to us. Jordan and Tucker and a shout out to producer Nick for grinding and producing this show every week. Appreciate it. I've done it. I hated it. (laughs) So I know what you guys go to. I really, really appreciate that. Um, to both you guys for being along for this ride and kind of bringing me on and, and, uh, letting me talk about the Royals with you guys. And lastly, the, uh, I guess I need to thank the Royals themselves, JJ Piccolo, Austin Cox, Alex Zumwalt for giving us the time this season. Last but not least the listeners, the viewers, everyone we've talked to on social media, KCS, and Discord chat. We work very hard every week to be, to earn every second of attention that you guys give us, and we do not take that for granted. So with that, I hope to see you guys all again next year. Appreciate your time.
1: And with that, I think that's a good way to wrap up this episode. I'll be back with Jordan next week. We'll kind of do a little you know, end of season recap because the Royals will be finished by the time we record next week. We'll We'll figure out something to talk about. Hopefully we get a couple of wins against the Yankees. Uh, keep them in the basement of the AL East, just so we all get a good chuckle at the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you all next week. We appreciate
0: it. Take- Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU.